You're listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. Join your host, Pascal Fintoni, for what promises to be an exciting and intriguing voyage of discovery filled with advice, stories, and film marketing ideas. Thank you for tuning in. And now, on with today's episode of the Film Marketing Academy podcast. Right, Roger. So this week for film marketing, we've got a biggie. We've got the biggest of the biggies, probably. (laughs) The Lord of the Rings trilogy, Pascal. Now, last week we talked about James Bond and I revealed that me and my wife had watched all 25 James Bond movies um, over lockdown. Uh, It's not going to be a surprise to you at all if I reveal that we have also watched all three of the Lord of the Rings films over lockdown. And just because we had the time, we actually watched the extended versions of each of the films. And I think the extended versions are almost an hour longer than the cinematic release. So each of the three films, probably about uh, four hours long. Now, it's, I mean, it, we, there's, there's not enough time to describe how good these films are in terms of production, special effects, acting, you know, post-production absolutely impeccable impeccable we're here to talk about the marketing but what one thing that i didn't know until i read and watched some of the extras is that peter jackson the director of these films had actually envisaged those extended versions as the as his ultimate goal now a lot of videos get met a lot of films get made and they have scenes that get deleted and most of the time they get deleted because actually they don't advance the plot or they're just padding or it affects the pacing of the film and and the the fact that they get deleted is a good thing but peter jackson didn't delete these scenes because he felt that they were lacking. He did. He, he, he intended them to be there. But obviously, a four-hour film in a cinema is probably a little bit too much for most people. So his original intention was to create those effectively definitive works and then edit down the cinematic version. But his intention was always that the DVD Blu-ray releases should be those four-hour epics. And, and I just think that the foresight... And the planning that went into the intention of doing that, rather than just, oh, let's delete that and and have it as an extra on a DVD as a deleted scene. He meant the film to be made in that way. It's it's just incredible. It's just incredible. No, you're right. The guy is such an inspiration. And of course, you know, uh, working with Philippa and Fran, you know, were the three that um, led on to that. I mean, Denise and I have a routine where every Christmas holidays we watch Lord of the Rings, the trilogy, special edition i don't think there's a there's another version worth watching at all <laughs> and and you're right the the extras are just um i don't think it's been ever met as a standard and i think that comes to you right to the foresight so in the context of film marketing as a reminder roger these films were released uh fellowship of the ring 2001 the two towers 2003 and return of the king 2003 and the reason why i bring back those dates is because the internet was a very, very different place, a virtual place, than it is today. I mean, think about it. 
in Google only appeared in 1998. The world back then was looking at Alta Vista and Yahoo for the news and so on and so forth. So I played a bit of a game. I kind of went back into my memory bank um, because I was such a fan and still am of Lord of the Rings. I would argue that I got close to the same kind of um, fandom level as Star Wars. I, was, I would collect everything. I would mm. cut newspaper snippets because it was still important. I would listen and watch what was on TV and radio and so on. But back then, Peter Jackson, again, a visionary, but also, I think, at heart, still an independent filmmaker. Mm. And I think that that's, has a bearing in some of what we're going to discuss in a moment. Published, recorded and published, is on video diaries. So if you may remember vaguely back then, 20 years ago, you could, not YouTube, because YouTube appeared in 2006, so you can watch on YouTube uh, the, the replays, but through platforms like Yahoo, Dailymotion, but also it's an official website, you had video diaries of the production. Now, mm. in 2000 or 1999, when it, they began with the work and so on, that was just unheard of. And you could argue Peter Jackson began his own version of vlogging, which is now taken as uh, for granted. Mm. There was empty supplements in major newspapers and, and magazines. I had boxes of them. Fortunately, I had to let go of them as we downsized and moved you know, elsewhere. But I remember, you know, even the Financial Times, even Sunday Times, had massive supplements by the Lord of the Rings, weaving in the film, the, the books, you know, the history, and so on and so forth. You could go on the official website, lordoftherings.net, sadly no longer managed uh, as it used to, but you could download videos, audio files, you had an interactive map, of Middle Earth, you could download merchandise, book, and so on and so forth. So there was just a lot going on, uh, I would say, f formally within the, the marketing machine. But there's also things that they did with the fans, Roger. Mm. I know, and yeah, I, I was one of those people who used to love buying something like the Sunday Times. And I used to sit on the floor and read the paper. And I don't know whether it was the Sunday Times or, or which, but there, there was a great big map of middle earth that you could unfold and it was right there on the floor and i think my cat came and sat in the middle of it and stopped me from actually looking where mordor was but that we don't get that sort of thing in the digital world anymore and and that, that's why it's so good to talk about these things it's nostalgia but but you're right you know he worked directly with the early versions of of fan sites, you know, Tolkien fan sites and content portals, which, which I guess you could argue were the early of earliest versions of influencer marketing, weren't they? You know, working with Tolkien fans, fantastic. Um, he flew over Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News and other bloggers to visit the set in New Zealand, um, and that was a big deal in those days. Flying people halfway across the world to to attend the filming of a film um study materials were on offer to schools to allow teachers you know i remember when i was in primary school the hobbit was one of, was on our reading list and then as we moved into secondary school lord of the rings was on the reading list can you imagine the interaction that those kids got by having those study materials given to them by the filmmaker just just incredible and it's those little genius pieces of marketing that you know really really tip the balance here and i think you'll probably um you'll probably confirm this but they were actually focusing on three different audiences weren't they pascal yeah so when you actually you you read about the history of the marketing of all of the rings which is incredible that you can do that 
20 years ago, they, these individuals from Peter Jackson, Fran and Philippa, but also the people behind Warner Brothers and New Line Cinema, the distributors, were kind of, again, behaving like indie filmmakers. That is to say, if we have no budget, we have to go through networks. So mm. I love you know, the fact that you reminded us about the Tolkien fine sites. Now, before, in 2020, what you had were forums. You may remember vaguely, they were ugly-looking things, you know, which <laughs> yes. all text-based. You had to really uh, be keen to spend time there. They were not the beautiful kind of blogs and, and social media platforms you have now. But they were doing social media marketing. They were using social networks to market uh, their, their business. They allowed those fine sites to create their own kind of news. Say, well, here's the photography, here's the video clips and so on. Do um, with it as you will, which is, uh, again, not practice nowadays because people are not in spirit. Independent filmmakers, which, as you know, I would argue, is uh, the kind of behavior and habits you should have as an mm -hmm. independent content marketer. But you're right, for with regard to the um, the three audiences, when you look at the interviews with the um, the marketers, work, people working for the production and distribution companies, the first one was, understandably, the most the very fervent fan base. Yeah. And there was two reasons why they actually targeting them, not just to get the message out, but also they knew that if they didn't have that fan base on their side, bear in mind the many changes to the storyline and some of the characters had to go, some of the characters were present longer than in, in the books and so on. So they had to kind of moderate the um, enthusiasm that can sometimes backfire. So I think to have them on their side was a good tactic in general, but also a, a wonderful um, marketing ploy. So that was the first one, but I know that there was another two, Roger. Yeah, the second, we're looking at older moviegoers. <laughs> now, the article that we, we source this from classes older moviegoers as people in their 30s and above which i'm i'm thinking is a little bit young really isn't it but uh older moviegoers who may have read the books like again at school and it's a great way of drawing those people back in because you're tapping into a, a childhood memory aren't you oh i haven't thought of lord of the rings for many many years i'll go i'll go to the cinema to see it wow and then you go and get the books back out and dust them down, give them another read. So again, you know, it's one of the one of the first things you do as a marketer is to segment your audience and target your messages to those segments. And here he's done three audiences, all of which collectively together boosted the audience to this film. So that was the second audience. Tell us about the third. Well, the third audience then was um, those who only experienced Lord of the Rings through the book. Mm -hmm. A book that was released, obviously, um, in the 50s, I'm going to say, but I could be wrong. Uh, I should have checked before um, talking to you, but I'm pretty sure that that was when certainly was, it was crafted. Mm -hmm. And what you have is literally then, I'm going to call them the grandparents and parents who only know all of the rings through the books. They've not really spent that much time through the um, in cinemas, but they would pass on their, their passion and of course, you know, they would extol the virtues of the storyline, the characters and so on, and take their, their kind of grandchildren and children you know, to the cinema, sometimes for them also a brand new experience. And, and I think back to what you were saying earlier, which is so not, not only did they have control over the assets, they crafted all the assets, but they were happy to let go of control in terms of, uh, we've done the creation, now over to you, the fans, and more to do you know, as you will with those. 
but then they took the trouble to segment and therefore tailor and change the tone and style. Mm. In fact, if I still had the box of all the different supplements and, and cuttings from back in the days, I could say to you that they all look and sounded very different because, again, I think some of the editors were able to, to make changes to adapt to, to the audience. Mm. And I think as an example, again, of joining the dots and combining tactics and strategy. I think the marketing of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is wonderful. And also I think it's very helpful to go back to the idea of this 20 years ago, the internet was very, very different. Yes. And, and I think I wonder whether uh, as we are approaching the well, 20 years anniversary will be next year for the Fellowship of the Ring, are they going to do something about it? But what will they do and will their approach be influenced by you know, the way in which the, the internet landscape is today compared to what it was 20 years ago? So are we going to have an official website again or are they going to fall to, well, let's put it on Facebook. Are we going to have unique video clips and audio clips we've never seen before 20 years later with prefaced by Peter Jackson or is it going to be more absent? I think it's very interesting. It, it wouldn't surprise me if he, he didn't even plan this, <laughs> and that he has actually got an even longer version that he planned all the right, right back from the start, but he's been holding it back for the 20th anniversary. You just never know, do you? You just never know. Pascal, I've got to ask this, and there's loads of them, but who's your favourite character in Lord, the Lord of the Rings trilogy? I've got to go for Aragorn. Mm -hmm. I think uh, because of his the story arc and the, mm -hmm. the, the character evolution and so on, um, but I think, uh, as you know, there was a different actor altogether that began shooting and then realized that it wasn't quite right. So Viggo Mortensen was invited uh, last and he arrived when things were already in full swing, bless him. And he, as you know from the extras, the very first scene he had to, to film was a, a fight against the orcs. <laughs> yeah. Literally days into arriving into New Zealand. He would not read the book. He read bits of it on, on the aircraft so he didn't feel too stupid when he arrived on set. And as uh, the story goes, stuff of legend, he was his children who said, please, Dad, you've got to be in all of the rings because he was really unsure to be uh, in a fantasy movie. I mean, there was little for people to, to kind of understand about whether or not this would be a success. I mean, yeah. the early attempt back when, um, which was a semi kind of animation stroke film capture, which I think technology-wise was very ambitious, but I think they, they were out of steam and energy and, and budget. So mm. you only had, I think, you know, the first book almost in the early version in film. Mm. But I think Lord of the Rings, I would imagine that one of the reasons also perhaps Peter Jackson went ahead with the um, video diaries and with the, you know, the um, official website and so on, maybe it was to pacify the financiers and also to secure perhaps more support from production companies and distributors because again this was huge huge gamble mm. this could have failed miserably mm. my favorite character pascal is Gollum, or as he originally was <laughs> was smeagol um and even when i'm sitting here telling you this i'm i'm surprised that i'm admitting to you that my favorite character in the film trilogy is something that which was actually pretty much entirely cgi um, now, I know that they, they took the actor, uh, Andy Serkis, I think he was called, and, and they used his voice, obviously, and they used the, his face as, an, uh, as a way of getting the expressions into that CGI character. 
but the the actual character itself that we saw on the screen was entirely animated using computer graphics and and it's such an amazing performance i mean such a tortured soul and and there's the two sides of his character constantly talking to each other and the way that they did the different camera angles when it was good gollum if that's possible sort of not so bad gollum and bad gollum and 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 it it, you, it was such an amazing performance it just sucks you in and every time i watch this film i get sucked in to the immense character and i have to I have to almost pinch myself and say roger this character isn't real it's actually completely generated by computer graphics but such was the performance and such was the cleverness of the animators that it, it just seems to be real and and just to come back to what you said 20 years ago and they were doing things as amazing as that i i i just it, it always amazes me when i see gollum i think it's a fantastic choice roger and i think you're back to this idea of a tragic character this is what i think has worked well i know from the extras again that this comes as a surprise to the producers and filmmakers that the audience actually really really loved gollum and smeagol uh, to the point where actually if i'm not mistaken in return of the king the um lead-in segment which is something that we will always look forward to because if you remember roger those films were released in december in the uk so it was like the yearly event in fact at the end of um return of the king i looked at denise and I, I will say i had a few tears in my eyes and I said to her, what are we going to do next year? Because for the last three years, this has been the thing that we look forward to. But suddenly, in terms of uh, you know the presence or the screen time of Smeagol Strongolum, this has been something that was added later because of the favorable reaction to, to, to the character. And I think that has made the film. Because I think without that, you don't have the same tension with um, Frodo and so on. So, do you know... Um, we need to be careful that this doesn't become this whole special edition as the two geeks and the marketing podcast. But I think when it comes to film marketing, 20 years ago, Peter Jackson, supported by obviously his vast team, including you know Fran and Philippa, have, have taught us some very important lessons. And it's back to this idea of that independent filmmaker's spirit, being a little crafty, resourceful, but using connections to get your message out there. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Phenomenal marketing for some phenomenal films. Okay, let's bring today's recording then to a close. To you, our viewers and listeners, thank you so much for your support. Feel free to subscribe and add your suggestions for future recordings in the usual places. He was Roger Edwards. I was Pascal Fintoni. Until next time, go out there and make amazing content. And if you're going to do marketing, do it right. Thank you for listening to the Film Marketing Academy podcast, the audio series dedicated to helping filmmakers create better film marketing campaigns faster. For more information about our film marketing consultancy and training services, go to filmmarketingacademy.com and book your free discovery video call. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and follow your host on social media for more updates.